still get asked the question quite a bit, but especially when I was first ordained, people would ask me all the time, what made you want to be a priest? And I had to come up with short answers to that because it's like such a long story, uh, long question. And honestly, I also discovered that people don't aren't that curious. They're just kind of making conversations. So you go into this whole big, deep thing about your your existential crises in life and, and what led you to make this choice to become a celibate priest that, you know, they're just sort of like, well, I've not really met any priests, especially young ones. Like, why did you become a priest? And my short answer was because I believed it would make me happy, and I still do, um, and that God called me to it. And that the two, two things are really two sides of the same coin. Because God has called me to it, that's what will make me happy. It's his invitation. It's, it's his call to a deeper form of life, fidelity to him, discipleship. Um, I remember there was a, a guy who uh, lived across the hall from me in seminary, and he would often say, like when people asked him, when did you decide to be a priest? Or when did you know that God was calling you to be a priest? He would say, Once I re- when I realized that my life is not about me. In other words, it was a, a point at which he had matured uh, to realize that if I approach the question of what am I going to do with the rest of my life from a standpoint of what am I going to get out of it, or am I going to enjoy it, or is it going to be everything that I hope for and I'm looking for, um, I'll never really settle on anything. How can you make a commitment? Because you don't. maybe tomorrow you'd have more data, you'd have better opportunities, or, or uh, someone better to date, or whatever. But if your life is not about you, in other words, you've been given a mission by someone higher than you, who's made you, created you for a, di- a different kind of joy than simply self-satisfaction or satisfaction of your desires or pleasures, um, then you can commit because it's a, it's a response to an invitation. It's a response to, to a voice. And that, I think, is at the heart of um, this mystery that Genesis is encapsulating in the Adam and Eve story that God looks at Adam in his original solitude, that's the words of John Paul II in the theology of the body, he's alone, but not in the sense of like lonely, like we are in this world of sin, isolation, alienation. Adam was still connected to God and to the cosmos. He was just had been breathed life into, and yet he was alone in this primordial solitude. And God says, that's not good. It's not good that man should be alone. Not that he needs someone to keep him company or I need to give him more stuff so that he, he he's, you know, feels better about himself, but rather he needs a mission. In other words, it's not good for man to live for himself because he's made in God's image. Man and woman are made in God's image and therefore are made to love, to look outward. God does not live for himself, even though he's perfect in himself. He's this perfect trinity of persons, a communion of persons, all who are giving of themselves constantly in this eternal interchange of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're meant to image that. And so marriage is the, even from the beginning, a sacrament in in a certain sense, even before Christ institutes it or elevates it to the, the level of a capital S sacrament. It's a sacrament in the sense that it images God. It reveals something about God's love. It's the privileged way, the primordial way, in which human beings give themselves away in love. Um, a few years ago, there was a Supreme Court decision that, uh, in which the majority opinion said that marriage 
is one of the greatest acts of self-definition. It's not. It's the great act of self-donation. If we get that wrong, and I think in our culture why this question has been so neuralgic of, of um, the permanence of marriage, you know, like Jesus is talking about divorce today, um, and even children, I mean, implicitly Mark is bringing, you know, let the children come to me, questions of fertility, um, children, abortion, etc. Gender and sexuality, um, all of that, uh, these are the, some of the most controversial and, and difficult teachings of the Catholic Church today. Um, understandably, because they, they get to something very personal and very deep. And even people who have not struggled that much with their sexuality, with their relationship to their body, or to the opposite sex or the same sex, or just navigating the, the waters of puberty and, going, and like awakening to this whole world of like, how do I relate to the world as a man or as a woman? Even those who have navigated it pretty well, still we, we uh, go through um, experiences that wound us and, and uh, make it difficult to relate in a virtuous and free way. Um, and so I think maybe one of the reactions we have is that it's just this self-definition. I need to figure out what I like or who I like or, or what I feel comfortable with. It's, it's a, a quieting of this restlessness. But... What it ends up being is, it's, to me, kind of sad because it's like um, this deepest thing that God has put in us, eros, love, to get us out of ourselves, becomes kind of like shopping for shoes. It's like, which ones fit me or which ones do I like or which ones can I see sticking with for a while until my style changes or they wear out or I grow out of them. Jesus says it's because of the hardness of your heart that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives or your husbands. Um, it's because of the hardness of your heart that we're not able to receive the gift of what it means to be a man or a woman or to have the vocation to marriage or to celibate, chaste love or to, to single life, to have our lives not be about us because of the hardness of our hearts towards other people, often, towards God, towards ourselves. You know, we... we, we don't accept the gift we, of, of being who we are, you know, who God made us to be. And that's ultimately the question. It's not anything about, like, what is marriage, what is sexuality, what is gender. It's who gets deci- to decide what the truth is. That's the question. It's a question of trust. Do we believe God exists, that he's trustworthy, that he reveals himself, that he reveals these deepest mysteries? to us, even the mystery of ourselves and who I am and who I've been created to be and who I've been created to love and how. All of those deep questions. Do I get to define them myself? Because if I do, I don't think I'll figure it out. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. I'm not going to find the joy that God made me for. But if I realize my life is about self-donation, which is a scary idea, that I'm not going to get to choose exactly what I'm going to get out of life or what I'm going to pursue. I'm going to let God guide me wherever that may be, even if that involves some pain, some sacrifice, some vulnerability, it's actually the path of freedom. Uh, It's not trying on shoes and figuring out what I like. It's growth in virtue. It's growth in generosity, growth in chastity, in the sense of of, um, other-centered love, not self-centered love. Um, And so as we receive, obviously, the, the gift of the Eucharist, that's Jesus' own pure, chaste, 
self-gift to us, the bridegroom to his bride, the church. That's the image from which all married love comes, all fidelity, all fruitfulness, all purity and love comes from, from him. And so if we can receive that love ourselves, maybe it can soften our hearts to receive the gift uh, of who we are so we can give ourselves away in imitation of him.